Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Thanks for uh, joining us. Happy Monday to you. Um, hope everyone had a good weekend. I was able to catch, uh, go to an Astros game last night with a couple of my boys. And so uh, it was a really great time. Um, hope you were able to enjoy time with your family as well. Today, we're going to continue on with our uh, just study through the book of First Timothy. And we'll be in chapter three, verses one through seven today. Um, I'm always grateful whenever we land on scripture that is easy to understand. And sometimes I think God does that for just to really help us get it, because even though it might be easy to understand, it might be a little bit harder to apply in a lot of our lives. So um, I think today's scripture kind of falls in that category a little bit. Um, today, we're going to talk just about what the qualities are of a leader, particularly an elder or in a pastor. But I think that we'll find a lot of this really can be applicable for you and I uh, both. Um, so as we hop into First Timothy chapter 3, just a couple of observations. And I know we've said it uh, throughout this study so far, but remember, this is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. Um, this is something where he really wants to instruct him and encourage him on how to run the church, just what to be on the lookout for. What are the common pitfalls? What are some of the dangers? Also, how do we just do um, normal church things? How do we make the right leaders in power? How do we um, navigate some of the hurdles that we'll navigate in churches? So Paul writes out a lot of his instructions on what to do. And today uh, he's really going to hit on how to identify a, a genuine leader. Uh, what are the traits that are needed for a pastor or for an elder? And, and really, what does that look like in their life? So just remember, this is Paul writing Timothy, kind of a how to and a what to do in your situation. And again, even though this section in your Bible, it might say the qualifications of a pastor or how to be a genuine overseer, whatever it says, just know that this isn't exclusive to just pastors. This is something that you and I can both apply in our lives and we can aspire for our children and for other leaders that are around us. So don't see the word pastors and just let it kind of um, roll off. I think it's something that we can all use and, and kind of hold ourselves up to. Um, also on our staff here at Lifeline, we have multiple people who have either been a vocational pastor or who are still serving as a pastor. Um, we have numerous pe people who serve on their church staffs, either as a lay, a lay volunteer or an elder or whatever it may be. So uh, if that might be you, you could even hold this list up against you and just say, do I strive to meet these qualifications? Do I look like the person that Paul is uh, describing here? But bottom line is I hope that it's clear to each one of you that every Christian is in the ministry. Um, when we become a Christian, whenever we truly believe and, and, and give ourselves to God, whenever we experience that salvation, you are immediately entered into kingdom work. Um, there is ministry to be done, and there is nothing excluding you or disqualifying you from that at that point. Um, the moment you become a member of the body of Christ, you are in ministry and you have been given gifts 
to do ministry. Um, it's not just the elders. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the deacons. It's something that each of us have a role in within the church. Another note is that the people Paul is talking about in these next few verses are particularly elders and bishops and overseers. Um, whatever words you want to use there for someone who tends to the flock in a leadership position. These are people that are really the ones to look out for the work of God, not just teach about God, not just do um, ministry work, but these are the ones who are actually looking out for how God is moving and then looking out for the congregation to be involved. The Greek word for elder is actually episkopos, which sounds probably similar to some other words that you've heard in church, but that word just literally means looking over. Elders are to be looking over the, the church. Pastors are to be looking over their, their congregations and their communities. But this idea of just not only teaching and leading and guiding, but really looking over and looking out for and, and seeing something that's coming. So seeing the work of God, seeing what God is calling us to do, seeing how we can be involved in it. And that's who Paul is talking about. So let, we're going to read through these seven verses. Um, it's short and sweet, but um, it's very full of good information. Um, and we're going to break it into just a couple different sections. Uh, for me, it's easier to understand really in kind of three main sections. So we'll begin with verse one, and it really just kind of sets the, the stage for what's going on. It says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So you probably have heard that before. We we like to have our pastors on stage and say, this man is doing a great work. Um, this is a noble task. And all that's very true. I think whenever we think of the word noble, we think of a prestigious role. We think of someone who is elevated a little bit amongst the others. And while that might be true, it does mean good and admirable. Paul is also reminding Timothy that this is really a high calling this is something that's significantly important within a church. It's not elevating the person. It's actually saying that this role, this position is one that is overseeing the people there. He says it's a, it's a noble task because it's something that is extremely important. It's important that this person possesses these following things that Paul's about to talk about because of the role. Um, you can't just put anyone up there. You, you can't just flippantly say, we found a good leader or we found a cool person or we found someone of influence. Let's put them in this role. He, instead, he says it's a very noble task that a lot of thought, a lot of search, a lot of um, planning has to go into the right person being there. And so I broke it down into these three segments of what that person should look like. What is a, a quality, authentic overseer for the church? And again, I just kind of put it in these three areas just so that I could understand it a little bit easier. But the section one, uh, I really think these verses two and three really remind us that the overseer's life must be marked by God. Um, and we'll see a little bit of what that means. So beginning in verse two. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, reasonable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, we'll stop there for a second. It, anytime we see a list of things um, in, in the Bible, we know that 
it's very direct. It's very list oriented so that we hopefully we don't miss what it's what's being said. Um, and for me, whenever I read through that list, it, it almost kind of reminded me of the cadence of how we see um, love talked about in First Corinthians 13. You know, we you hear it in, in weddings and things like that. We, we know love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love does not envy. Love protects. We, we know all these things about love. And I think we can recite it. And we know that because it's just very easy to understand. It's, it's here's a list of what love is. Similarly, this is a list of what a, a life marked by God would look like. You know, it means that you are above reproach. It means that you are faithful to one person. It means sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And so this is really easy to understand. Um, none of these words are are hard to grasp. And so I think it's the same for, for Timothy. He's like, I don't know what to look for in, you know, in a leader. I don't know who, who is going to be running this thing or what qualities they need to have. Well, here's a very easy list that we can't really mistake. And so as it reminded me of that section in first Corinthians 13, I just, I appreciate that these are easy to understand, but when they're broken down and when we list them one by one, um, these simple descriptions are amazingly poignant. Um, they are, you can't mess them up and they are worthy of application in, in our lives. So when we say above reproach, um, or in some versions that you, you might be reading, um, it, sometimes they use the word sinless and we have to know that that doesn't mean perfect. Nowhere in scripture are we called as believers, whether we're leaders or not to be perfect. Um, in fact, we're told multiple times that we're nowhere near perfect and we can't be there. There's a quote by uh, Warren Wiersbe, who is just an American um, theologian, and he says that there must be nothing in a leader's life that Satan or the unsaved can take hold of to criticize or attack the church. No man living is sinless, but we must strive to be blameless or above reproach, as Paul says. That's a good reminder that our goal isn't to be perfect. Um, I can guarantee that I have already missed perfection for the morning. You have probably done something or thought about something or forgotten something that would prove that we're not perfect. No leader is perfect. No leader should be on the pedestal of perfection. We see that time and time again, where if a leader falls, are we surprised by it or are we not surprised by it? Were we expecting perfection out of someone whenever they weren't able to achieve it? Um, and so this quote just reminds us that it's not about perfection. It's really about are there ways that Satan or the unsaved can look at this leader and and begin to criticize or attack the church because of their qualities. So Paul reminds Timothy, you know, you want a leader that is living above reproach. You want that in your life. Find ways that people can't look at you or the things you do or the way you do them and begin to criticize you or your God. I think that's a a far better way to to aim our goal than to say we're going to be perfect today because we probably will not be able to. He goes on to talk a little bit more. He says, not only should we be above reproach, but this should come out in all these other areas of life. You should be faithful to, he's talking about a, a man who's leading the church. So be, be faithful to one wife. You can go down tons of rabbit trails about, does this mean a pastor or elder can be divorced or remarried or or can they be single? Um, that's not necessarily what this is really uh, talking about. This is saying, does this leader show affection and just attention and adherence to one spouse? Like, are they faithful? Are they loyal? 
Do they respect and honor their wife well? Do they model Christ in their marriage? So must be faithful to one woman. He goes on to say, must be clear headed in all situations. And really he's saying like a leader, a pastor, an overseer is not someone who is just driven by emotion or who is just reactive and flippant. Instead, they need to be clear headed and, and just um, able to maintain composure and to hold on to faith in all situations, which if you've been around the church or if you've been in any kind of pastoral role, you know that you will see lots of situations that are hard to do so. You see some of the worst of the worst. You see the effects of sin. You see just the brokenness of living in a falling world. You see deceit. You see all these these things. You see um, just these situations that would lead us to just be reactive and and just go off of our emotion. And Paul's remind Timothy that a quality leader, a true overseer of the flock, isn't reactive like that. Instead, they're clear-headed. Um, he goes on to say a pastor— um, an elder would be respectable, um, someone who is orderly and disciplined and who shows respect with people and with things. He says um, a leader will be hospitable, which, again, these are all easy to understand words. But to think about a leader or a pastor that's not hospitable, you know, maybe you can think of somebody like that. But but he essentially says someone who's going to lead the flock needs to learn how to love the flock and and be hospitable to the flock. And and that's a quality of a leader. Um, if you work underneath or if you serve underneath uh, just a, a demanding, non-hospitable, rude, arrogant person, then they probably would not fall into this level of leadership within the kingdom. So they need to be hospitable, kind and endearing and opening. He goes on to say that they need to be able to teach the things of God. They need to be a, a good teacher. And that doesn't mean they need to be eloquent we see throughout scripture where different people who brought the message of God weren't always eloquent. They weren't uh, just linguistic geniuses. And instead, lots of them were just regular people with regular language and just doing their very best to talk about how good God is and how much we need him. And so a pastor or an overseer needs to be able to teach the good things of God and needs to be able to articulate the gospel. Um, it, it does not mean they have to be perfect or eloquent. He says they need to not be controlled by alcohol, not be a drunkard, not be someone who is just continually looking for the next drink or or losing themselves to what they're what they're taking in. And I think the same would apply for any addiction. If you find yourself just continually falling into just this trap of addiction, that's probably not what you are hoping to have in a pastor. That doesn't mean that pastors aren't prone to it. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. It means that over time, that's not something that would be indicative of a quality leader being used as God intends. He goes on to say that this overseer wouldn't be violent. They're not violent. They're peaceable. The word that they use here, it literally means that they would not be a striker. And a striker is just something that continually goes up against things, whether it be in conversation and they just like to stir the pot, whether it be a physical, just, just always on edge and just always aggressive. It says that a good overseer, a good pastor is not violent, is not aggressive. In fact, he goes on to say the next word that they would be gentle, which really it's just like uh, someone said, it's a sweet reasonableness, like not just as over the top pushover fluffy of a person, not just overly gentle, holding 
puppies all the time, but someone who is just understanding, empathetic, and reasonable to all people. He goes on to say that this is uh, someone who seeks to avoid bickering, someone who just doesn't like to argue, who, who would rather talk about the good things instead of just harping on the bad things. And, um, and then the last one he says in this little section of scripture is that this person enjoys God more than the things of this world. Um, hopefully in a, in a good pastor, you see someone who's not materialistic. If you, if you ever want to just get angry with things, you could easily find tons of Instagram accounts or, uh, internet accounts that will follow just like super materialistic pastors. And it's somewhat entertaining, but it's a little bit more infuriating because we see that people can see materialism in our lives and they can easily call it out and say, if God is so good, why do we continue just to pursue the things of this world with such just uh, fervor? Why do we keep going after it? And so he says a quality leader, a great overseer, a true pastor is probably not someone that's caught up in the things of this world and materialistic. So overall, he says in these scriptures, he's like, more than just being a nice guy, this this pastor needs to be an overseer that should be distinguishably faithful and uniquely inspiring for the people that he leads. Uh, essentially saying that because of these things, his life is marked by God. So that's the first thing that he says, that a true pastor, a true servant, um, someone who is really overseeing needs to be visibly marked by God in the way that they live. Section two is just a couple verses. Um, and again, I just broke it down because I think he kind of shifts focus a little bit. He says this person who is marked by God needs to also not be impartial. He needs to be consistent. And so in verses four and five, he says that th this leader, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This couple of verses is hard for me. If you know anything about me or my family, we have six children, which um, I know we have a few big families at Lifeline. Uh, we have six kids. And if I were using phrases to describe them, I probably would not say that they are always managed or that they are always um, properly submissive. Lots of times it feels like that is not the case. Um, and so when I read these couple verses and I just think about how a quality leader, a pastor, uh, an overseer people should have a house that's in order. His children should be submissive. His, you know, things should feel healthy in their home. Um, I had to remind myself that it, it doesn't say that they're going to be the perfect parent. It doesn't say that this pastor, overseer, or elder is going to always have kids that just fall in line and always say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and never go off the beaten path. It, it doesn't say that. Instead, it has, uh, it says that, that this person will, um, will have submissive children. And that means kids that just understand what authority means. Uh, kids that understand how to respect their mom and dad. Kids that, that know that authority and, and all this is given by God and that we are to respect one another. It really reminds me that we're not asking this pastor, elder, overseer, to be the perfect dad or the perfect husband. Instead, we're saying, how do you resemble Jesus at home? How do the leaders that we admire on stage, how do they look in the living room? How do they look after a long day? How do they look after a, a rough Sunday of preaching? How do they look after they've made uh, numerous hospital visits that day? What are they going home and being? 
How does this leader resemble Jesus and uh, when the doors are closed? You know, I can think of people that you, you see them at church and they're just uh, beyond uh, empathetic and outgoing and serving and and doing all these things and just leading the people well. But then they'll get in their car, they'll go home and they'll pull into the garage, they'll shut the door and you might not see them again until the next Sunday. And so I think Paul is even reminding Timothy that these people need to to be living out the gospel at home too, not just when they're in front of a congregation or not just when they're um, being evangelists. They need to be modeling Christ at home. And that is indicative of a quality leader. Has he or she put their spouse uh, ahead of their needs sometimes? How do they raise their children? It doesn't mean there won't be problems, which any parent on here can tell you whether they're pastor or not. There will be problems. There will be hard things. There will be times that it feels like your kids have gone way off the deep end. But in those times, how are we as leaders modeling the, the, the dad who waited on the prodigal son? How are we modeling Jesus who continued to, to love over and over again? How do we model the God that we love? It means that when our behaviors are crazy, we will demonstrate loving discipline. It means that our family never sees a leader on stage looking one way and then sees a husband leading another way. There's a consistency that Paul is telling Timothy needs to happen between a true leader out on the field and a true leader at home. If the faith by which um, this leader aspires to lead others is genuine, then it'll also trickle down into how he loves his kids, his wife, his, his family, uh, the people in his neighborhood. And um, I think that's a good reminder for us. So this last section is really just these last couple of verses uh, between one and seven. And, and I think he says, not only does a leader need to be marked by God, in these visible things that he does or doesn't do. And not only does he need to be consistent at home and, uh, you know, wherever he's leading, but section three, I would think really just says that the overseer should be continually maturing. It's not a, you're now the elder or the pastor and, you know, uh, lead from there. Instead, it's this calling to continually look more like God, to continually fall more in love with God and to continually help other people raise into maturity. And so um, he goes on to say that this leader um, must not be a recent convert. He's like, it can't be a brand new believer that you're just pushing to the front of the people. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we have, a we have um, as a church and as a society, just um, fallen into kind of this thing where we we find a good leader or we find a good idea and we immediately put them in front of people. If you follow business or if you uh, anything like that, like I think Elon Musk is a really good example of kind of how we find something that makes sense sometimes and it might have a lot of good ideas. And as soon as you give them power, you see like all these things just come to the surface and you say, we didn't plan on that. <laughs> we didn't know that was going to happen. We didn't know you were going to make those kind of moves. And if you zoom out a little bit, you end up finding out that a lot of what he does is just what, who, what he always does. It kind of falls back on the people who put us in leadership positions to say, like, do we do our homework? Did we look at this person? Did we assess their life? Did we try to qualify them instead of just encouraging them and pushing them to the top? And so he reminds us that this doesn't need to be a brand new believer that we're asking to go and now lead the church in maturity. 
Um, in fact, if we do see a new believer that's aspiring to be a leader, then we should pour into them and and help them become more and more mature so that they, they can step into kind of the work of an elder or a pastor at some point. Um, Paul warns Timothy that this power that we give pastors and elders, that the power of that position can easily um, go to somebody's head. You know, again, we we see it. Um, we see it in our world. We see it in our churches where if the wrong person is given power or if they if they're given that power at a at a, a time when they're not ready, you, you can probably think of times that you've seen it either go to their head or just be something they weren't ready for or be something that was abused. And so he says, be sure that the people we esteem to these leadership roles are ones that are maturing and that are continuing to mature. Um, and you would be able to see that through everything he said up to that verse. He says a good leader should be liked. Uh, it doesn't mean that they don't have enemies. It doesn't mean that everyone thinks that they hung the moon, but it means that they should be respected and liked in, in general. You know, I think about some of the, the strongest leaders I've seen in churches, and they're not always the people that are on stage. Lots of times they're the elders that are praying for one another and, and making the visits. And, and I think about them, and, and those are the people that I really can't think of bad things to say about them. You know, they're just overall, they're just good people. They're, they're liked by all. They're not divisive. They're not reactive. They're not all the things that we talked about earlier. They're, they're just nice, good people. And I think it says that a pastor should have uh, kind of that vibe, uh, should be someone that people look at and like, not just are ready to be strikers, as it said earlier, not just someone who is, you can just look at somebody and think, you know, can tell that, that they're ready to just either start a fight or they're ready to defend themselves so much that they won't be moved. And I don't think that's what it's saying a pastor should be. Um, a good leader should be liked and, res and respected. Now, it does not mean that a good leader should always be revered or famous. Sometimes those are good signs that it's going the wrong way for a leader. You know, we live in a culture where you can look across your city and see celebrity pastors. You can go on Instagram or watch the TV, uh, whatever you're doing. We can identify pastors who have reached celebrity status. And then more eyes are even on them at that point, because now people in the world alike are saying, here's your chance to show that you are a genuine person and not as often as I would like, do we see that happen? Um, and so Paul is just, again, reminding Timothy, Hey, be sure that this person, be sure a leader within your church, be sure someone that you put in that role is someone who's maturing, someone who is overall liked by people, someone who is just this celebrity or kind of a power seeker person, but instead be sure that it's someone who is uh, well-respected and who is admirable more than applauded. And I think that that's a good, a good thing that we should be looking for uh, as we go to church. I mean, who are our leaders and are they people that fit this mold, that, this model that, that Paul is talking about? So obviously Paul is writing about the qualifications of a pastor and about elders. But again, like I said earlier, I think these are all qualities that we should be hoping to embody because whether you work at a church or not, whether you serve as a lay leader uh, within your church or not, we all get to participate in, in a, in a ministry. We all get to do kingdom work here at Lifeline. You are all overseers of some jurisdiction of God's kingdom, whether it be working with, you know, with moms who are facing enormous decisions of what to do with their children 
uh, whether it be working with families who are seeking out like how to go about opening up their home uh, in a way that they're hoping to open their heart. Uh, maybe you work with pastors and leaders to connect them and to remind them of the calling that we have to to love and to bring hope to people. Whatever it is that you do at Lifeline, your role is very much a ministerial role. You can be counseling families or pushing paperwork or whatever it is. You are overseeing a significant portion of ministry at Lifeline. And so I think all of these qualities and traits should be something that we ask ourselves. Do we embody? Are we marked by God? Would someone look at our life and say those same things about us, that we're, we're kind, that we're empathetic, that we're patient, that we're not easily provoked, that we aren't reactive? Would they read these things and say, that sounds like you? I think we should also say and, and be sure that we're living a life that's consistent in public and in private. The, the same person they see in your cubicle, uh, would they also see you that way in, in traffic or at, at home or at dinner? Do you live a consistent life? And then also, are we continually growing and maturing, like Paul said that, of elders and pastors? Uh, do we seek to look more like who God is calling us to be? Are we growing in our faith? Are we relying more on Jesus today than we did yesterday? I think that those attributes would help us lead well within our organization as well. So anyway, as we wrap up today, I just want to say, are these qualities in your life? Are these traits that you possess? Are they things that you are working on? Uh, are they how people would describe you? Are these qualities evident? Like you might have all these things, but do people look at you and see that? Are they evident? Are they traits that you rely on and that you act from? And then have you identified probably like me that there's a lot of areas where I could definitely work on these things? Um, there are areas where I'm still growing and areas where I find myself struggling. And so lists like this that Paul gave Timothy are a really easy way I can sit here and say, well, I still need to work on that. Or here's one where I'm doing OK, but let's focus on these other couple. And so as we read through these scriptures, maybe that you can identify some some areas in your life where you just say, I'm still working on that, um, or I really need to grow here. Um, and I would just encourage you to lean into that. Ask that God would reveal to you those that you lead um, and then help you grow in the way that you lead them. Thanks again for joining us for the Lifeline Defender Bible Study. This week, we would love if you would join us in praying for Togo. Pray that the 90% of the Togonese people uh, who are lost would come to know Christ. Pray that the uh, voodoo spirit would be torn down with the truth of Christ within them. Pray that the church would rise up to engage in orphan care with the skills and abilities that God has uniquely given them. And pray that God would raise up churches in the U.S. to champion this cause for the fatherless and put Togo on their heart. We ask that you would pray in particular for Winner, who is a pastor in Togo. Pray for the church that Winner leads in uh, Kotove, which is about 20 miles from the capital of Togo, that it would become a beacon of hope for those in the surrounding areas. We also ask that you would pray for the development of new efforts and growing relationships that Lifeline is making with partners throughout Togo. Pray for Goodwin in his efforts to make a living for his family and help provide for the needs of the orphanage that he grew up in. Ask God's blessings and direction in Goodwin's efforts to grow his farm through the raising of chickens and pigs, as well as production of eggs and corn. 
We also ask that you would pray for Lifeline's partnerships to develop throughout the country. Pray for Pastor John Amicio as he explores the best ways to care for vulnerable children in and around Togoville. Pray that God would open up new opportunities with orphanages who might benefit from our partnership with them and training in the future. And also, lastly, pray for our unadopted staff that we would have a clear direction from the Lord as to next steps and best ways to move forward where God is already at work within Togo. Thanks again for joining us for the Lifeline Defender Bible Study. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue walking through the book of 1 Timothy. Have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.